Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. Let's get growing. Hey, everyone. Have you been to the Organic Gardener Podcast website and signed up for our email list? If you go there, you will get my new PDF, Seven Awesome Ways to Find More Time in Your Garden. And it's just some tips that I've learned from listening to my amazing guests who are always sharing with us super effective ways to be a better gardener. So if you um, head over to the organicgardenerpodcast.com and enter your email, you'll get seven awesome ways to find more time in your garden. You can also get a copy of our ebook of Organic Gardening Basics. And just um, all the show notes are there, all the links to our show. So, and I'll be sending out some golden seeds newsletters as I get them done. And of course, you'll get a special invitation to join the Organic Gardener Podcast Facebook community. Hope to see you there. Welcome to episode 165 of the Organic Gardener Podcast today. And I am super excited because I have a guest that I know listeners are going to love hearing from. She's written two amazing books about topics that we talk about a lot. One's about cooking food from the farmer's market that I know people are always interested in and wondering what should I do with this or for recipes. And then the other one is this awesome book called The Farmer's Office, Tools, Tips, and Templates to Successfully Manage a Growing Farm Business. And Richard Wiswall wrote the um, introduction, I think, and or um, he wrote... Uh, he, wrote forward. Forward. he wrote the forward in the beginning and we all know that um, his when he came on and did an interview he was just full of knowledge I know he's been listened to tons of time because he has uh, an, another book about um, business because it's important even if you're not going to have a business to use those effective practices when you're a gardener because you know gardening is a lot of work and it will help you be more efficient and to see where you know, you're spending your time and putting your water and managing your dirt. And just so even if you don't have a business, I know this can be exciting. And then on top of that, if you are thinking of having a business, she has a new course she's going to tell us about that people might be interested in. So I'm just ecstatic. I got her book and I've just been pouring through it. And um, it was just really good because of where Mike and I are. So anyway, I will be quiet and I will introduce the amazing Julia Shanks, from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome to the show, Julia. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Well, we're excited. So do you want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and what's going on? Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, my name is Julia Shanks. I'm from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, And I have two books. One is called The Farmer's Office, which you were just talking about. And I also have a cookbook called The Farmer's Market Cookbook. And it may seem pretty divergent to have a business book for farmers and a cookbook for consumers, but it actually ties in really nicely to all of my experiences. Uh, right now, a lot of my time is focused on helping farmers be financially sustainable, but I started out my career as a chef, and my first job out of cooking school was actually at one of the very first farm-to-table restaurants in Washington, D.C., and this was more than 20 years ago. Um, I won't say how long ago that was, but (laughs) it was certainly long before farm to table was a concept. And I was working as a line cook and it was there that I met um, Brett Grosgal, who's now one of my nearest, dearest friends. And we both left the restaurant business and I went on to Boston to 
you know, get my MBA and started teaching accounting. And he moved to Southern Maryland and bought an organic farm. And he's been farming on 100 acres um, for the last 20 years. And over the 20 years that we've been friends, um, just visiting each or I shouldn't say visiting each other. I visit him. He's a farmer and you can't get him off the farm. But <laughs> it's been, you know, 20 years of spending time together, harvesting uh, watermelon and feeding chickens and picking okra that we've, you know, developed our friendship. And, you know, we wrote a cookbook together, which started out as a way to help his consumers his customers best use the local wonderful produce he was growing. And through all our conversations together, I also learned about running a farm business. So when I started my consulting practice eight years ago, it was really just a natural to work with farmers and help them sort through the different struggles they have to manage their farm businesses and be financially sustainable when they're trying to be ecologically sustainable. Excellent. I love all of that. And I don't think it's that odd of a thing because, well, I worked in a restaurant this summer and I really like it really changed my perspective seeing like the food that they went through and how often they bought how many heads of lettuce and how many peppers and how many, you know, all the things that they were ordering, you know, every Monday, Wednesday and Friday yep. and how much it added up to and like what it would look like from that perspective. And I think a lot of farmers or gardeners or people get into it thinking, I'm going to go to the farmer's market and I'm going to sell eggplants because I like eggplants and I like to grow eggplants. <laughs> and they don't really realize, you know, maybe they're not making that much money. You know, maybe eggplants are like not the most economically, you know, best way for them to make their money. And then also maybe the yep. market already has 10 eggplant people and right. what the market right. needs are tomatoes. So I think, um, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I just think your knowledge base is uh, a great mix for people. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you talk about the restaurants, and one of the things that's really difficult for people as business owners, as opposed to managers, you know, the chef is a practitioner, they're cooking food and writing menus and recipes and managing their staff, but they're also business owners and trying to think about how to make a living and how to make a profit and be able to pay their staff on a regular basis. And, you know, they do go through a ton of food, literally a ton of food. They do. Um, and, you know, it can be frustrating to just see money flying out the door every day. And it seems like so much money, but uh, oftentimes they need a little bit of help putting all the numbers into context to see, can I actually make a living doing this? Even though there's so much money flying out the door to pay my vendors, to pay my employees, to pay rent and electric, how much money am I bringing into the business every day? And, and how do I make it work? And farmers, too, they go into farming because they love farming and being outside and growing food and taking care of the environment and nourishing our communities and all these wonderful things. But they forget that they're running a business, too. And in order to keep doing what they love, they need to be financially savvy and you know understand their numbers and their bookkeeping systems. Excellent. And so I was saying that when um, in the pre-chat we were kind of talking, I was saying that I love in the beginning chapters, it's exactly for like people like me and Mike who, um, well, a lot of it's over my head and way like for <laughs> people who have been in business for a while to help them because we have no numbers to start with. But then there's a whole section on but you if do you're thinking numbers. about becoming an entrepreneur, ask these questions, clarifying yeah. your vision, defining, you know, what are you, what are you thinking, you know, and refining that business plan. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I 
I think about that with my own business. And one of the things I talk about is that when you go into business for yourself, if you spend 50% of your time doing what you love, you should consider yourself lucky. And I, you know, I've been thinking about this with my own business that, you know, when I work with farmers, a lot of the great things I do is work with the farmers and helping them develop their business plans. But some of the not great things I do every day is having to write reports to the people who are funding the technical assistance I provide. And I hate writing reports. And the same is true for farmers that, you know, they love being outside and gardening and harvesting and working the land and they hate the computer and they hate numbers. But it's one of those realities of being in business for yourself that you need to face that as well. But I wanted to go back to something you said that, you know, you're just sort of starting out and you don't have numbers, you say. But actually, you do have numbers in your business and in your home garden. Um, you know, you go to the the seed store, or you shop through Johnny's or Fedco or wherever you buy your seeds, and you know what you're spending on your seeds, and you know what you're spending on your soil amendments, and you know what you're spending on the little tools that you have in your garden. So you actually do have a lot of numbers about your home garden so that you know what you're spending. And actually what you can do is, you know, every year you can track what you spend on the different things for your garden. And then you can weigh what you're producing, um, you know, how many pounds of tomatoes and how many pounds of kale and how many pounds of carrots and herbs. And if you were to go to the supermarket and you were to buy these things, how much money would you save from having your garden? I joke actually that uh, my tomatoes are probably about $1,000 a piece. <laughs> I consider how much money I've put into my garden, um, you know, especially here living in Cambridge. Um, where the soil is of questionable quality, I had to excavate my whole backyard and mm. bring in several tons of compost um, because the you just can't be sure in Cambridge the soil quality. Um, I had actually started out with raised beds in my garden. And, you know, the first year I had one raised bed and then I built two more. And then as I was starting to build my third or my fourth and fifth raised beds, I decided that maybe it was time <laughs> to make a bigger investment in my garden. But anyway, I wanted to go back to you that and your your market garden and, you know, what would it what could you produce out of your garden and what could you earn and what are you spending and you can actually get a pretty good sense just from what you're already doing. That's that's true. I get. I mean, we can probably <laughs> estimate how much food we get. You know, like one year Mike weighed the potatoes when he grew 100 pounds of potatoes. Like, and that's true. And like, so whether my first year I started my podcast, my personal challenge was to grow 750 sunflowers because I wanted to be like the flower farmer. Yeah. And I thought 750 sunflowers was a lot. And what I learned that year is like, I need to plant 750 sunflowers like every week for like 10 weeks or 15 right. weeks. Like that's just nothing. So I guess we do have some numbers. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny because, um, and granted, I'm in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and my garden is about the size of a postage stamp. Oh. So, you know, and I, so compared to some, a lot of the other listeners that, you know, they, this may be a silly story, but, you know, last last year at this time, I planted about a pound of garlic seed, which for me is a lot of garlic because it's, you know, compared yeah. to, this, to my garden. And then in the summertime, I harvested 15 ounces of garlic. So <laughs> 
not quite the return on my investment to to plant a pound of garlic and get 15 ounces out. Um, but these are the kinds of things that you can figure out in your own garden and, you know, thinking about it from a business and economic perspective. Excellent. Obviously, as a home gardener, there's just, you know, the, the pleasure of gardening and, you know, that and the taste of the food it. when it comes out. Exactly. And you can't put a dollar figure on how much pleasure I get out of my garden and being able to cook a meal. You know, I make a, you know, a curry dish with butternut squash and kale and scallions and garlic and chilies all from my garden. And that's pretty amazing to me. Mm. Oh, my goodness. That sounds so good. Um, okay. So, you know, I do always start the show asking my guests um, about your very first gardening experience. Like, did you No, wait, you told me where where did you grow? And like, who were you with? Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Like, what was your first garden like? Uh, well, my first garden was here in my raised beds um, because, I mean, I grew up in D.C., but um, where we grew up, it was very shady. So my mom was just convinced that we couldn't grow any vegetables. Huh. Um, so I didn't garden growing up. And when I moved into this place in Cambridge and I had a garden for the very first time, uh, that was really exciting. So um so it's only been 15 years that I've been gardening, but I, I also fantasize about having a farm someday too and being able to grow all my food and raise chickens and get eggs and chickens and maybe pigs because everybody needs bacon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so then how did you learn how to garden organically? Like from your farm, your garden and uh, building the raised beds in uh, Cambridge or just... Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I think we garden organically kind of by default. Um, you know, if you're not spraying, um, you know, then, yeah. you know, and you just sort of compost. I've got a couple of compost bins in the yard, so I'm just, you know, adding my own compost and just trial and error, truthfully. Um, you know, the the thing that I struggle with the most is aphids and um it every year it's brutal and I'm just trying to figure out how to not get aphids um and then when I go to the garden store it's like oh what can I do what can I do and on the one hand there's all sorts of chemicals out there yeah but on the other hand it's being right there with my food I just it's like I can't do it I just can't do it and it's like all right if I go to the grocery store and I don't buy organic all the time it's like okay I just don't know and just don't tell me and I don't know and it's okay but when you're growing your own food and you're seeing everything that goes into it it's hard to do anything but organic I Um, agree I know exactly how you feel I've stood in the store so many times going should I pay this extra money for this organic thing or I totally can't afford that I have to buy this but it's better to eat a fresh vegetable than nothing and I can stand there for like 10 minutes sometimes going back and forth and like the guilt thing. But, um, anyway. well, now it's, it's, it's funny because as I get farther and farther into my career working with farmers, it just makes it all the more difficult to buy conventionally raised foods um, and especially animal products, you know, chicken or beef or lamb. Uh, that there's so many clear linkages between organic practices and healthier food and healthier bodies and healthier environments that it just the, um, did I lose you 
Oh, I'm still here. Yeah. Oh, I okay. know what that was. Um, I had another call coming in. Oh. That's okay. what that sound was. I thought I had lost you. Oh, Did you hear I, that sound? I, I, I didn't hear the sound, but there was like a pause. It was like the opposite of a sound. Yeah. But I thought I lost uh, you too. Because Skype does yeah. drop calls sometimes. This is so interesting because yesterday I posted an interview I did on Christmas Eve with a guy who builds raised beds for people and he talks about bringing the soil. He's in Michigan and he's expanding this business. So it's so it's interesting to be talking to you right after that and talking about the raised beds. And I was telling him we have a similar problem like you. Whereas he, I guess in Michigan, there's like this surplus of soil. There's like not, Mm -hmm. there's like a ton of it. Whereas here we struggle to come up with good organic um, nutrient rich soil because we're always building and expanding and our dirt is um, on the sandy side. It always needs um, some major, like, and I always tell people we have chickens for the manure, the manures for the garden. The eggs are just the bonus on top. Exactly. And then you get the stewing birds in the end. But then Um, you get used to the eggs and you can't hardly go the other way. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, you just have to keep buying um, new chickens because, yeah, I mean, I have to say most of what I learn is with the farmers that I work with. So, you know, whenever I have a question about my own garden, I can call up my clients and say, what do I do about this? Um, but I guess with chickens, you know, for about two years, they lay eggs pretty regularly. And then after a while, the production diminishes. And, um, so then you have to decide whether it's worth keeping them or not. And, um, so I know a lot of farmers will harvest, if you will, the chickens after their menopausal and then have the stewing birds, um, which they can either sell to their customers or enjoy for themselves. Yeah, and uh, I talked to a woman around here who raised chickens and whitefish, and it sounds like that market, like there just can't be enough chickens for people to get the stewing chickens. I can't imagine personally like eating our chicken, but I don't really eat chicken, so. But I can't imagine my husband eating a chicken and that that we've grown. And ours just, they just stay till they die, which they all do eventually, but our chickens are kind of old. But we just have a few. I guess that's the advantage of, um, you know, catching them, if you will, before they die of natural causes is that you can sort of honor them and be able to make the most of them as opposed to, you know, waiting till they die of natural causes and then you really can't consume them. Right. That's that's an excellent point. And if you're going to eat chicken anyway, why not um, eat ones that have had a good life and, you know, are healthy? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of farmers feel that, you know, by actually doing the slaughtering themselves Mm -hmm. it gives them a greater appreciation for meat and you know it's and as hard as it is to slaughter and clean animals it gives you know it says okay i i understand this process i honor it i recognize it it's not pretty and this is how i can feel better about eating meat is knowing that it's been raised ethically and um treated ethically um through its life that's an excellent point. I really like the way it's very eloquent way of stating it. And it's so true. Uh, and what was the other thing I was going to say? I even really like my New Year's challenges to do the food babe ways, um, healthy eating and, and try to just like have a cruelty free, like, cause for mm-hmm. me, I like, I don't know, I'd like to go vegan, but I've never gotten even close to that. I talked to Elizabeth okay. Kucinich and she was another one who kind of made me feel like, Oh, I can do this. But so I'm really trying to follow the food babe way. I don't know if you know her, but she's like a animal or just, she's like a food activist. Like she makes sure that the food 
she got craft to change like the dye and the macaroni and cheese and wow, she gets on chipotle yeah she has like this it's called the food babe army and she gets like hundreds of thousands of people to sign petitions so she can get into an office of like a major corporation and just she really talks about um you know helping make processed food if you're going to eat processed food healthier and then she, you know yeah. so i'm trying to eat less processed food because unfortunately i'm like a processed food addict and mm. i have way too much of that my i'm always busy and i always end up going like to me a healthy meal is like going to subway because i can get a lot of veggies on my sandwich and just right. sometimes i mean i eat my husband like and during the summer he cooks a lot of healthy food but so I'm trying to eat more healthy anyway this year. And and a lot of what the Food Babe says in her book talks about exactly what you're saying. And just, yeah. you know, eating food that's been raised um, in an ethical manner. And yeah. that was a good point about the chickens that uh, I like that, that they live for two years and then maybe turn them into stew chickens. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So there's a big movement in Montana, which is mm -hmm. where I'm at to get um like more to make it easier for people to like they have these poultry processing machine things yep. and they're trying yep. to make it easier where there's like one in each community we have yep. 56 counties in our state and trying to get one and so people will be more likely to like you know do it together and get it done yep. but Mm -hmm. you know really... well, it's not easy you know depending on how many chickens you have it's you know it's not easy to do it all yourself mm -hmm. and these mobile processing units make it easier um to and get i think the there's like a number need. where it's like you know like i can't remember if it was 20 or 50 or 100 chick you know anything under like 20 i think it was just easier to just do them yourself but like after yeah. 20 the machine really and if you had like a couple of people that each had 20 or 50 chickens or something I don't mm -hmm. know, to just do them all at one. So they're really trying hard to get that through and to get more of those processors. Yeah. So it's a popular topic because, yeah, healthy chickens and healthy eggs is excellent yeah. for all of us. But I wanted to go back to what you said about eating processed foods. Okay. Um, and, you know, you said you're a processed food addict. Um, oh, and I think, well, I think a lot of the challenge is, um, well, one being is all the salt and sugar and boy, it sure tastes good. But I think the other issue is that it's, it's a matter of time and, you know, having the time to cook healthy foods at home, it doesn't have to be difficult, but it's a matter of making the time to do the cooking, to avoid the processed food. You know, it's, uh, you know, Absolutely. it's easy to buy a box of mac and cheese or, you know, make it from scratch and scratch mac and cheese really isn't that hard, but it takes, a little practice and it takes a little more time and takes one more pot but the results are so much better um and it's funny because I've, I've gotten so used to how different my food tastes than processed food just by the sheer nature you know homemade ketchup versus Heinz it's just a completely different beast or homemade mayonnaise compared to Hellman's just it tastes different and at first it can be a little disconcerting um, to have the flavors be so different, but after a while you get used to it and then you actually like it better than the processed counterparts. But it can definitely be a difficult thing to get used to. Yep, and my mom's probably rolling in her grave because she's like, you grew up on all those foods. She made it healthy. My mom was like a really good cook and always, and still to this day eats healthy and never eats processed food. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how I got this way, but partly because I work, I'm just a total workaholic and always working. And yeah, my time's limited. And a lot of times on the weekends, it's like, well, you know, I'm doing my lesson plans because I'm a teacher till, you know, five yeah. o'clock or 
podcasting, when I'm not teaching or just, you know, I'm on my computer till I just fall over and I have too many days like that. So, but you're right. It's, it's a matter of scheduling it and, you know, just saying, I'm going to do this and kind of like, you know, disciplining yourself or like, you know, just being like, I'm, you know, committing to it. And I think once (laughs) I get into it, I have another friend who's really like, she always, she doesn't even have a microwave in her house. Like to this day, I'm still like, how do you live without a microwave? But (laughs) she just eats really healthy and I just did an interview with her too, even just, uh, but, um, yeah, some people like you just get into that and then you can't even think about eating processed food. So I'm hoping I'm going to get there soon. It doesn't have to be hard. I mean, I think the quintessential easy non-processed is a roast chicken. It could not be simpler to, you know, slather a little bit of oil and salt on top of a chicken, shove it in the oven, maybe cut a few vegetables on the bottom, And it's the most delicious, satisfying meal. And it takes all of five minutes to get the chicken in the oven. That's true. Um, And a lot of vegetables, you know, I've, uh, one of the recipes, it's actually in my cookbook that I make every day is a kale salad. Um, You know, and kale is prolific in my garden. One of the things that really grows well for me. Um, But, you know, kale salad is so easy and just, you know, Lemon juice, soy sauce, olive oil, salt, pepper, you know, done. Um, so there's a lot of really simple things that you can make um, from, and when you have quality ingredients, it, you don't have to do much. A little salt and pepper, lemon juice, and you're good. True. Uh, all right. Well, that sounds good. Um, and kale is something a lot of my guests have said is really good uh, all the time. I mean, yes. that grows really well in a lot of different places in the United States. And through, like, the hot summers, it'll it'll last a lot. And it's so healthy for you. So that's a great recipe. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. Oh, so sure. do you want to tell us about your course that's coming out? Is it coming oh. out in January? Yeah, it starts January 11th. It's an online business course for farmers. And, you know, like I was saying earlier, just, you know, farmers farm because they love being outside and not because they love bookkeeping. But, you know, especially this past year, we had a horrible drought in Massachusetts. And so many farmers are going out of business, not necessarily because they're bad farmers, but they didn't manage their cash well. And they didn't manage their businesses well. And they didn't see when things were getting into, when they were getting into trouble. You know, you just sort of borrow money, you put things on your credit card, you don't pay it off, you forget, whatever, then you need to get started for the next season, so you put more things on your credit card. And it becomes a cycle. So this course is about helping farmers get the tools that they need so that they can be financially sustainable. It's a one-year one course, and it meets once a month. And the idea is that we start with the basic concepts of business management and accounting, and then we talk about bookkeeping systems, and we coach them through you know, how to maintain their QuickBooks, which is the standard bookkeeping system. And once they've got you know three to six months of good records, they actually have enough information to start analyzing their businesses so they can start to see, you know, how much does it cost to produce a pound of carrots and what am I selling it for and is it worthwhile and how much does it cost for me to go to the farmer's market and how much do I need to sell to make that farmer's market worthwhile. So it's a year-long course that, you know, takes a farmer through the various stages of business management as they happen. And they, so they get the support that they need as their businesses is facing the different challenges. You know, it's, I loved about your book, just, I'm going to quickly, is that you have all these little, um, 
in or like excerpts from actual farmers that you've helped. And I think the most positive thing about it is that there, there are ways, like people might think it's futile. I grow food. This is what I grow. This is what I sell, but that there are options and there are different things that you can do and different tweaks that you can make. And all of a sudden you are becoming profitable doing at at the same exact place. Like it's, it's that business sense that you have that you've learned from watching these other businesses that uh, there was actually one farmer that I talk about in the book and you know, they, they'd been in business for, you know, 60 years and you know they were selling hay and they're selling pigs and you know it's like money was coming in but they just weren't getting ahead and they couldn't figure it out and you know they just looked at their business as a single unit like how much money did they bring in right. and how much money did they have left at the end of the year and when we started to look at the business at the at the different business units like okay this is what you're doing for the hay operation this is what you're doing for the vegetable operation this is what you're doing for the pig operation and when we separated the different operations they could see oh we're actually losing money here and the hay operation is subsidizing everything else so they kept doing something that was actually losing money because they just didn't know how to look at their business at the different entities and when they realized that the pigs weren't profitable they then were able to figure out what they needed to do to make it profitable yeah so that's the part that i love what happened is they were selling the pigs for $95 each. They're selling the little feeder pigs, but it turns out it was costing them $124 to raise the pig. So they're actually losing about $20 or $25 a pig to, you know, they're basically giving their customers $25 plus a pig um, rather than figuring out a way to earn money from it. And there's probably like different options that they could use, like either figuring out how to lower their cost or how would besides just raising, you know, raising the cost a little bit here, but figuring out a better way to feed them or maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it seems like there's lots of options. It's not just one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, there's, there's several options for them. I mean, the two basic ones are either that you lower your costs or you raise your prices. Um, And that's basic, you know, basic accounting, basic math. Um, you know, obviously it's easy to say, oh, lower your costs, but you know, you need to know what your costs are so you can decide whether or not you can in fact lower them. And if you can't lower them, then you either need to raise your prices or you stop doing it, or you figure out a way to add value so that you can raise your prices. So as an example, let's say you're growing tomatoes and it costs you $2 to raise the tomatoes, to grow the tomatoes per pound. And wherever you are, you realize you're, oh, I just can't sell them for more than $2 a pound. Nobody will buy my tomatoes. Well, maybe if you make tomato sauce, then you can sell them for a higher price because you've added value to the product. And that way, you know, you obviously you still need to make more money. It costs more money to make tomato sauce than it does to grow tomatoes. So now you, but there's more opportunities to charge more as well. So this pig farmer, instead of selling their pigs at eight weeks, they decided that they would raise them themselves and then have them processed and sell them in their farm store. And that turned out to be a far more profitable way for them to raise and sell pigs than what they'd been doing previously. But they had the information to make that decision. And before they started managing their bookkeeping systems, they just didn't know. They had no way to figure out what the solution was. 
I always say you never know what you don't know till you know it. Because <laughs> it's so true. You don't you don't even realize that like there's this whole other world going on where people are like managing their books and figuring out like that's been the biggest thing about podcasting to me is learning how to run a successful business. Like I've tried so many times to have a business. I've tried to do different things and like listening to John Lee Dumas and um, his girlfriend Kate writes their Entrepreneur on Fire blog. They talk about, you know, just the steps, what they've done and different things that they've learned from different people. And just like it's totally changed uh, how to be successful at business instead of just like floundering around and trying this and trying that and thinking, well, if I make this, um, you know, I'm either going to sell it or I'm not. And, you know, there's just it's nice to know that there's different options out there and to hear from, you know, you're what I would consider an expert. You know, you have a lot of advice from watching other people and taking the best parts from all the different businesses you've worked with. Yep. And, uh, you know, and it is possible to be a successful small scale farmer. Um, you know, it's funny because I don't have a lot of positive stories in the book because the lessons tend to be learned from the farmers that are struggling. But, you know, I've also worked with a lot of farmers that are making it that, you know, they're systematic in how they spend their money and how they track where they're what they're doing. And they have a mechanism to make decisions. And, you know, they're they have, you know, somewhere between one and two million dollars in sales and they're making a fine, fine living. And it is possible to do that. And, you know, even here in New England, um, where the cost of land is just so expensive, um, I'm sure in Montana you can get 100 acres for a lot less yeah. um, than you can here in, in Massachusetts. So, um, you know, that's one of the struggles that New England farmers have is affordable land. But at the same time, there are farmers who are making it work. Um, and they're running thoughtful businesses. They're not just sort of mindlessly doing what they do. They're making decisions all the time about what's working and what's not and adjusting all the time to make sure that they keep doing what works and let go of what doesn't work. Excellent. And I think there's a lot of organic businesses out there that are doing it. And that's been like the big thing. Like you can't have a successful organic, it's too expensive to go the organic way. And just, I think people are realizing that that's changing. And I talk a lot on my show about how much I love millennials because I think millennials are a lot of the ones that, you know, are at that age where they have the energy to start it and do it. And, um, and they, you know, they have the passion and they care about the environment and just, um, but there's, you know, there's older people. I mean, look at my husband and I are certainly not millennials and he's <laughs> way older than I am, but we're going to try something. I mean, my husband's big goal is just for us to be self-sufficient and grow enough food that we don't have to buy a lot of produce during the year, especially yep. me, because I like to eat a lot of vegetables. And But, you know, it all applies. And then if we were going to have a CSA or go to market, you know, that's a dream down the road. Or like I said, I'd like to just grow sunflowers. And what I realized about the sunflowers is I think I'm going to shoot for bird seed. Ah, because getting yes. to market is is one of my big challenges. Yeah, and I like that that you had those questions in there about you know do you realize this is what it's going to take and these are the things you're going to have to do and are you willing to do these and yeah. you know you make like places for people to like make a list of things like that and yeah. I thought that was uh, really good in there. Yeah, well, I th- you know it's interesting. Um, not everybody is cut to be an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and uh, you have to work. You know, they say that you work eighty hours a week for yourself so you don't have to work 40 hours a week for somebody else. (laughs) But for some people, 40 hours a week for somebody else is pretty nice. And, you know, they can show up, they can do their job, and then they can go home. And when you're running your own business, you can't go home at the end of the day. It's your baby 
and there's so many other things that need to be done and you just can't walk away. Um, so I think that's, that's a hard lesson for a lot of farmers to learn when they go into business for themselves. Um, but I want to go back to what you were saying about the millennials. Uh, I think what's interesting about the millennials also is they're not as constrained by how we've always done things. And, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily a trait of the millennial generation as opposed to the Gen X or the baby boomers, but I think it's the fresh eyes and that as we get older, we tend to get set in our ways and how we always do things. And the millennials are willing to look at things differently and say, hey, why don't we try it this way? Um, so, you know, we're starting to learn new ways to do things and be a little more creative and a little more adaptive and have more, quote unquote, disruptive technology. Uh, so I think, you know, even just different tools, um, I've seen people uh, repurpose bicycles into a cultivator so that instead of having a tractor for small plots of land, they can ride a bicycle and cultivate their land uh, with, you know, human power as opposed to. Um, wow, that sounds so cool. I want to see that. I'm going to look that yeah. up. Yeah, I think uh, it's called Cultacycle. Uh, I've seen that. So it's just a lot of interesting things that are going on, um, especially for the small scale gardeners that want to build in efficiencies into their systems. Nice. Okay. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. Organifi Green Juice is a gently dried superfood mix that supports health, mental clarity, while detoxifying your body all in one delicious drink. What I love about Organifi, it makes me feel great. It's easy. It doesn't take much time. It's full of nutrients and superfoods that I have a hard time getting anywhere else. And it just tastes delicious. Now, as a teacher, you all know that our days are, our time is totally limited. I have kids in my classroom since 730 in the morning till six o'clock at night. Um, so just even using this simple thing can be difficult for me, but I can pull it off and so can you. If you want to feel good and get all your um, greens in a simple, easy drink, remember um, you can get a discount as an Organic Gardener podcast listener by entering code OGP16 and Organifi will give you a 15% discount now. So just go to Organifi.com um, and when you go to check out, enter code OGP16, and they'll give you 15% off your order anytime. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to take a moment to thank our sponsors, my good friend, Dacia Daly from Simply Josephine. It's all about handcrafted soaps and apron love here at Simply Josephine. Located in Montana's beautiful Tobacco Valley, I create everything from my home studio. Currently, I offer six different kinds of handmade soaps, three different salves using wildcrafted plant medicine from right here in our beautiful valley. In addition to my body care products, I also make several styles of aprons. Everything is available at simplyjosephine.com. We want to share a little love with the Organic Gardener podcast listeners. We're offering 15% off. Use code OGP15 at checkout. Thanks and have a beautiful day. Simplyjosephine.com. I kind of ask these questions at the end. They're kind of like, I don't know, my version of the lightning round where I say, um, okay. are you ready to get to the root of things? Okay. Let's and go. Um, so the first one goes, 
So, um, Julia, which activity is your least favorite activity to do in the garden? Like, is there something you got to force yourself to get out there and do? No, I love it all. And I can't get up, I can't get into the garden enough. Um, I love weeding in the morning with my coffee. I find it really meditative. Yeah. Obviously, um, harvesting is very rewarding and turning the soil. I get a nice workout. I honestly, I love every part of gardening. I like that. And, you know, I've been talking to my listeners a lot this year about um, I really like after we've been like trying to pursue this mini farm and large garden last summer, I really came to appreciate small, tiny backyard gardens. So I I love what you said about your garden. Yeah. So then do you have a favorite activity that you like to do in the garden on the flip side? Is is it the weeding in the morning or just? Actually, I do enjoy the weeding in the morning. I find it very meditative. Um, just to, you know, I get the weeds when they're still in the thread stage, so they come out very easily and then you get to see the clean beds and that's always satisfying. Um, and honestly, this is going to sound really dorky, but I love just watching the vegetables grow and just sitting and just pondering the different cycles and, you know, seeing the flowers budding open and then the vegetables pushing out from behind the flowers and watching them get bigger every day and, so I do love just watching the vegetables grow and evolve. Oh, I think every listener out there is going to totally relate to that. <laughs> and I've been reading Margaret Roach's, um, her parables and some of her books. And she talks about that going through the seasons. And she sounds very much like you do. I think that's something we all love. So uh, yeah. how about what's the best gardening advice you have ever received? Oh, goodness. Um well, I'm thinking about garden. The most recent gardening advice that I got was that um, there's a difference between decomposing vegetables and compost. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, I live in Cambridge, so I, I compost and then, but, you know, my compost system isn't very good. So I've been, you know, I, I tend to kind of bury the compost in the garden and then turn it that way. And I've been told that that's not what I need to do because there's a difference between composting and decomposing. So I'm, I'm pondering that right now. So I'm going to say that's the best advice because it's got me thinking. Okay. I like that. That And that's true. And I try to save the compost in my classroom that because my kids eat breakfast in the classroom and we have snack. And, and one mm-hmm. week I didn't get my compost bucket quite cleaned out. And I'll tell you, we could ooh. not stand. Because <laughs> every time we opened the lid, it was like, ooh. And like, you know, and it's been all year we've been saving it. And we haven't had that smell. And it was just that one week I didn't quite... Yeah. I let it freeze and I was in a hurry and I just threw it in my compost and bring the buck back. So there, there's a perfect example right there. Yeah. And something else, like I just had a, a replay of a guest. Um, he was talking about his struggles down in Florida with soil and he was doing the regular composting and what's working for him is vermicomposting, which is composting with worms. Yeah. And yep. so that might be something. And I told, I've been laughing. Mike, my, my, one of my Christmas presents was we bought a big tub and I'm going to tell my kids, all right, I got us a class pet. It's going to be 500 worms. Yeah. I tried <laughs> that actually in my basement, um, oh. composting with worms. Uh-huh. Well, just because, um, I don't have a place to do it outside with worms. Yeah. Um, and as long as it's composting well, it's good. Um, but to your point, if the worms die, then the compost gets really stinky. And, uh, so, uh, I had to give that up, but I've actually got a lot of worms in my soil. So I feel like I've got really, I kind of feel like I'm 
composting just sort of naturally because I've got so many worms in my soil that are just, you know, processing through everything. Oh, that's that it's all good. well aerated and crumbly and it's got a nice texture. So I feel pretty good about that. All right. Well, that's good to know. And that's a good, um, if people had listened to that other episode and they're thinking about it's going to be their solution, that's a good thing for them to know. And it's a good thing for me to have to keep an eye on. And I'm kind of wondering, like, what is this going to look like in my classroom? Like, you know, do I have holes in the lid or where to like, there must be holes in it or how does that work? You actually, um, so you have to drill a lot of holes and you need to turn it pretty regularly because what happens is, um, you know, you can put holes in the bottom Mm -hmm. of the bin, but as you put more compost in there, the the holes in the bottom are going to get clogged, so it's not going to get the same air circulation. And that's where I ran into trouble. Okay. Um, so you need a way to, you know, keep turning it so that the holes don't get clogged. Okay. All right. That's a good thing to know. I did talk to this woman up in Toronto in Canada who has a business, and she said she had some videos, Vermicomposting 101, I was going to try to watch before. Yeah. It's a good thing I need to put on my to-do list this week. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'll have a problem getting kids in my class to turn the compost. I think, if anything, it'll be keeping them out of it. I think they're... Oh, good. I think that part will go, I'm hoping. And plus, yeah. I run the garden club with another teacher. So, you know, once a week, they're going to be in there besides the kids who are in my regular room. But garden, the gardener's been a popular job. And so far, all it's been is watering plants. So I think... And when I have had... I brought... a a tub of compost from my house once and gave them all like magnifying glasses and they love to like look at it. So we'll see how it goes. I'm trying to figure out where's it going to (laughs) fit. My room's kind of cluttered, but we'll make room for the worms. So, uh, okay. How about a favorite tool that you like to use? Like if you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? From the garden? Mm You know, I don't have a lot of tools. I, you know, obviously I need my hose to water. Um, I just got drip irrigation, which is pretty awesome. And yeah, I mean, I use like five tools. I have a trowel, I have a rake, I have a shovel, and that's it, and a hose. Will you tell us a little bit about your drip irrigation? Um, Well, I just got the, um, the drip irrigation hoses. I bought them at Home Depot and I just snaked them around the garden. Uh, last year was my first year, so I have to. I think what I need to do is I need to lay the drip irrigation down first, and then plant everything because the water doesn't go too far away from the hose. So you need to plant everything pretty darn close. Um, okay. But I got about. But like I said, I have a small garden, so I got about a hundred feet of hose, maybe two hundred feet, and that that was enough to really uh, do my whole garden. Okay. I No, you don't understand. I totally love that because I have this thing called, uh, well, Mike and I have been working on this ebook and I started with um, seven awesome things you can do to save time in your garden. And one of them is the automated water system. And Mike was like, well, some little backyard gardener is not going to care about an automated water system. And I was like, yeah, they are. And see, here, uh-huh. you're right on just with an example yep. of one and how easy that is to get a drip irrigation hose. We've never been able to use that because we always had the water issues, but like, so I don't know, Mike might be interested in trying that now. Yeah. That we well, have, especially with the drought, uh, you know, just to, yeah. uh, you know, on the one hand we had a drought, so we weren't getting any rain. On the other hand, you need to be careful about watering, but the drip irrigation is a nice way to really concentrate the water where you want it. Um, and you can turn it on and, you know, when you really need to soak the garden, you can, you know, turn it on for an hour and just let it go. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah, I really don't know how it works. So that's great. So you just like run a hose through your beds and it's but it just stays there all season long yeah. like you're not picking up the water because to me that's always the challenge with watering is dragging the hose around and exactly especially mike's got all these corners and rocks and things and you gets caught and stuck and if you could just have it there and then yeah if you're just gonna soak in an area yeah because that's important too and yeah. i always tell listeners like because we had such a shortage of water like i mean we would like we would have this 1500 gallon water truck and that would have to water our garden that we would go fill up Mm-hmm. And it was, so it was all gravi- gravi- gravity fed. Gravity. Mm-hmm. And I always say one of the reasons we didn't have so many weeds is because you do not waste a drop of water when you have that little water. And you make sure it is, you're, there's no weeds aren't going to grow hardly because they're not getting any water. It's only right. going to the roots of what you're growing. So I think that drip irrigation sounds like that's the same principle. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Awesome. All right. How about your favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden? Is it that kale dish or do you have something special? I do make that kale salad regularly. And um, the other dish I've been, I've been doing kale that I saute with uh, garlic and raisins and pine nuts and a little curry powder. And I wrap it up in a chickpea crepe. And then um, I serve it with a, a romesco sauce, which is basically roasted red peppers with a little tomato and, onions and garlic um oh my god that sounds so good that's been a favorite um you know it's fun for me because I wrote this book with my friend Brett the farmer in southern Maryland so I actually a lot of times just enjoy cooking his recipes because they're so different from my recipes Mm. um you know like he has a dish for you know potato I'm I'm thinking about winter dishes because it's December and it's cold right now Mm -hmm. um but uh, he has a dish with uh, sautéed greens and potatoes with, you know, scallions. And it's just really simple, but just really delicious. Um, and then there's some good curry recipes. Um, like I like the coconut curry with chili paste. And then I usually just toss whatever vegetables I have in. And it's, you know, it's it's restorative and creamy and rich, which is nice. But it's also really healthy and light because you can put all the vegetables in there. So that's great too oh i love that yum uh tell listeners what the name of your cookbook is again just uh the cookbook is called the farmer's market cookbook and it's available on amazon and if you go to my website juliashanks.com you can get a link that way too nice uh so speaking of the internet do you have a favorite internet resource that you can recommend to listeners all right, this is going to be really self-serving, but I, I'm going to be honest with you. I've got a lot of resources on my website. Nice. I've been writing articles about business management um, for farmers for and small business entrepreneurs for the last five years. So there's just a lot of tools and tips, and I create templates for you know doing a cash flow budget or how to write a business plan or how to manage inventory or labor. So I've got a lot of Excel templates on my website too. Um, so... I know it's self-serving, but, uh, and then I, oh, I have webinars on basic accounting and how to use QuickBooks and videos on basic accounting terms. So just a lot of good resources there for, um, food and ag entrepreneurs. I don't think it's self-serving at all. I think it's an excellent resource. I didn't even realize all that stuff was on there. So I think listeners will be excited if they're thinking about starting a business or if they have a business that's been struggling or even if they're doing good and they just want to do better because... You can always, you know, you can 
always learn new things. So Yeah, so when they go to my website, there's a tab that says Tools for Entrepreneurs. And once they go there, they'll get links to the webinars and the video tutorials and the Excel templates and the articles and all of that. Nice. How about like a favorite reading material, like a book or a magazine or a blog other than that one that you Other than my own? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I got to say, I do enjoy growing for market. And um, my guilty pleasure is Modern Farmer. Oh. It's, you know, I think that... I don't think any real farmer is actually reading Modern Farmer because it costs about $8 an issue. But I always enjoy reading. um, I think it's like written for people like me who want to be farmers but aren't really (laughs) farmers. (laughs) Okay, cool. uh, But I actually really enjoy it and it's it's a good magazine. Cool. How about, well, I mean, you've given us lots of things, but I do always ask like, do you have advice for listeners about how to just get started if they've never started before? Like what would be the very first tip that you would give somebody who wants to get started selling extra produce or in the farming industry? Well, I would say track your costs and, you know, track as much as you can um, because that's the only way you're going to be able to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, if you don't know how much things cost, if you don't know how much money you're bringing in, if you don't know how much you're growing, then you have no way to make informed decisions. So track, track your numbers and track your data so that you can make informed decisions. And like, I've read a lot this week because I got a, you know, I'm on break and I've been through quite a few books, but isn't there something in there where it talks about like, if you've never farmed before, maybe starting working on somebody else's farm or people who have, was it talking about people who have worked on other people's farms and then they were ready to start their own or? Yeah. Well, I think if you're, if you want to go into business for yourself and you know, if you're going to make that kind of financial investment, uh, I think it's always a good idea to work on somebody else's farm so you can really understand what you need to think about. Um, a lot of times people just sort of think, oh, I'll grow vegetables and I'll take them to market and sell it. Right. And when you right. work on somebody else's farm, you realize, oh, right, and I need to repair the tractor and I need to hire people to help me harvest and I need to buy packaging and I need to pay the phone bill and I need to manage my CSA subscription and all these things. Um it's always helpful to work on somebody else's farm so that you can learn at their expense. Um, you know, you put your head down and do your work and open your eyes and ears to see what's going on. And you can learn a lot that way. Yeah. And there was like, there's like the diagram on the, how to use the book in the beginning. And then I remember there was also like this great resource page where it talked about like different places where you could find like the Atra website that you could find, places to work on if you had never and there were just like some great resources in there yeah I mean I think if you google around different there are different internship opportunities around the country you know every every community is different and every region is different so it's hard to make blanket recommendations on where to get a job working on somebody else's farm right Uh, but you had like you know places people could look it up where there were like opportunities listed like what I was trying to go to school at Columbia a few years ago and Mike and I were trying to maybe move to New Jersey or Long Island or New York or somewhere where he could and I remember there was a really good website in New Jersey where people could find opportunities either somebody would have land and they were looking for a farmer or a farmer was looking for a job and somebody might have land and yeah um, just it seemed like there were some good but it had i don't know i can't find the page right now but it had (laughs) it had that website that recommendation and some others okay my final question that i like to ask is 
Julia, if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, globally, or nationally? Uh, oof, that's a big question. And uh, I guess what I'm thinking about right now is how can we support small diversified farmers to be more financially sustainable? Uh, because they're the ones that are really thinking about our soil and our environment. And there are a lot of organizations out there that are providing support for these small farmers. One of them uh, is the Carrot Project, and they're based in New England, and they're providing business technical assistance and financing solutions for small farmers to help them be sustainable. So that's, that's where I'm thinking. I'm sure that, you know, in California, there's a kitchen table advisors and the local department of ags. And there's a lot of CDFIs and different community organizations around the country that are supporting local farmers and giving them the, the tools and resources they need to be successful. You're so eloquent. That was beautiful. (laughs) Okay. Well, just do you have a final inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? Oh, gosh. Follow your passion, and but be realistic and keep your eyes open. And if you love gardening, then garden. And if you want to run a business, then run a business and grow good food. Nice. All right. Do you want to tell listeners how to connect with you? Uh, Sure. Uh, they can go to my website, juliashanks.com. And on my website, you'll get a link to the tools for entrepreneurs. You can see a link to my books, the cookbook and the business book, and also to my business class, The Farmer's Edge. And it starts on January 11th. All right. Well, thank you so much for being such just a wonderful guest and, you know, helping people care for our planet. And just, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us this morning. Well, thank you. I had a great time chatting with you, too. Thank you. If you know somebody who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast, we would just love it if you would share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and remember to grow.